It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Well, good evening. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, this is David Murray. I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. This is Zeal for Your House, um, Blog Talk Radio. Um, good evening, Dorothy. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm, I'm doing very well. Just mm, good. have a little bit of a cold, I think, or allergies or something. You know, Dorothy, just as we were um, praying um, just before when we got on the air, when you and I were, were talking in the back office, um, one of the things I wanted to impress you with is to encourage you. Um, I keep hearing steadfast, um, at which I know that that's something that um, that you always encourage me with uh, by example more than anything else. So I just want to encourage you with that. Um, just continue to stay steadfast, which you're doing is such a blessing, and the Lord sees that. So I just wanted to tell you that, and I figure that's something that's, Safe and appropriate to share on the air. So, um, so I'm going to be praying for you and um, stay steadfast. And I know you're going to be feeling better too. Thank you. Uh, and I've been those videos that Grace sent with Curry Blake on healing. Yes, Curry Blake. Yes. But they are on the forum if anybody wants to hear them. I've been trying to study. That it took me three days to go hear them all. There's a 17 of them. But I've been trying to learn more about the healing process of fathers. Yeah, Curry Blake is an excellent source. I typically don't name names because the body of Christ, unfortunately, is so divided and decisive, and um, and and we've lost really the ability to disagree on subjects. We tend to either agree 100% or we cut someone off, which is regrettable. Um, you know, uh, Paul and Barnabas didn't disagree on everything, yet they, they both remained uh, sent ones. They both remained apostles over John Mark. Um, and, and we would do well to follow that example. So at the risk of that, I admonish any of the listeners, if you want to understand more about dominion and power and authority and how that relates to having authority over the works of the devil, specifically in the arena of, of, of sickness and how to speak healing and apply healing by exercising your right as a child of God, uh, look up Curry Blake. Um, I'm, I'm, I've gotten to be very close friends with, with someone who used to be, um, you know, um, very involved in a good way with that ministry. And uh, I've gleaned a lot from them over the last couple of years. It's really helped um, helped me in that area. So so I agree with you, Dory. You're an excellent source. And anyone who who, uh, who is, feels led down that area, I would say look up Curry. He's an excellent, well-grounded, um, from the Word, in the Word. He is a well-grounded a teacher and elder in the body of Christ. He really is. I don't say that lightly. I don't put my stamp on things lightly. Um, so anyway, we're going to try to move through um, through part two, doorway to intimacy, part two. And this part, part two of, of intimacy, um, Last week we talked about judging the motives. This is going to be subduing the soul, putting the soul under, taking dominion over our soul. And um, so we're going to talk about what does it mean to be living by the soul? How do we recognize that? What do we understand? What does that mean? And the second, then, how do we subdue it? How do we subdue the the soul? And um, you guys are going to see, if if you've listened to me or if you've visited uh, my website, and yes, I do have a website, dwmurray.com. Um, all these things tie in. Every different subject really comes back to a common foundation. Uh, the Christian walk is not, and there was never meant to be religion. There's no religion in heaven. 
the kingdom of God, when, when the fullness of the kingdom comes up and the elements are, have been burned away and, and, and recreated in paradise with the new heaven and new earth, there isn't religion. It's relationship with a community of God's heirs and God's children in perfect union and fellowship, spending an eternity getting to know each other and our creator, our father, our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit better. Um, so, so whenever we approach something, guys, we need to approach it in light of eternity. And that's so important. There's certain principles, certain foundations, which are not difficult, but they're vital. Um, you know, it's not difficult to apply the brakes in a car, but you need to know that there's a brake pedal there. It's the same idea. That applying the gas, you know, once we've gotten in the car, we got familiar with it, right? Applying the gas is not difficult, but it is absolutely vital if we want to go to know that there's a gas pedal that must be operated a certain way. It's the same with the kingdom. Kingdom principles are not difficult. They are difficult in the sense that we are learning and we're always talking about understanding our identity, uh, that, uh, what we have been redeemed out of, what we have been restored to. And from that position of, of eternity, from God's eternal accomplished work on the cross, we are heirs and sons and daughters of the living God. And from that position, we approach relationship and the truth of the realm of the spirit from that perspective. And, and that is just, it's not difficult, but it's vital. And, and that's where subduing the soul um, is a vital part to entering through that doorway that leads to greater intimacy. I could really think of no other at this time, no other topic that is of more importance in this hour than understanding the soul, than understanding who we are as spirit beings, and that our soul must operate from the truth of God's word, from the mind of Christ, knowing that our self-worth is complete, that 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 foundation affects every single thing we approach to the degree that we, whether we do or don't know that. The word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we can't have faith or belief in something we've yet, not, have not yet been taught or, or learned about. But part B to that, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, is qualified in the parable of the seed. Or when people say the parable of the sower, it's really not about the person sowing. It's about the seeds. It's about the quality of the soil. The parable of the seeds, right, is part two. It, it qualifies um, understanding, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Because when faith is sown, and the scriptures say when Jesus interpreted to the apostles, and they said, tell us what this parable means. Jesus said the seed that was sown on rocky ground had no root, they had no understanding, and because there was no understanding, Satan was permitted to snatch up and rob the word of God. And that's what qualifies. After we hear the word, we need to put it into practice. If we do not put it into practice, it will be robbed of us, and our condition will be worse afterwards than it was before. So, um, no fear in that. That's just, that's just the way it is. And, and nothing can stop us, church, Nothing can stop us except our own will, our own desire to do things our way. There was nothing in the Garden of Eden that could have stopped Adam and Eve. Nothing. It was a choice to be defeated. 
And it's the same ever since then. It's the same today. When God's children are in covenant with the Creator, covenant with our Heavenly Father, nothing can stop us unless we choose not to dig into what's ours and, and claim it and say, yes, I choose to agree with this, no matter how much my fractured soul, no matter how much the lies that I have been taught are telling me opposite, I'm choosing to submit them to the cross, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Right, so, so that's my introduction, uh, living out of the soul. Uh, what does it mean to live out of the soul? And second is, is how do we subdue the soul? What does this look like? Uh, how do we act upon that? Um, so let's get right into it. Living by the soul. What is soulless living? Okay, the answer in short is living by the soul in short means it's not submitting to the mind, the will, the nature, and the intentions of the Spirit of God that desires to lead us. If we live by our own mind, our own will, our own desires, our own emotions, we're not submitting ourselves to the Spirit of God. That's living by our own soul. That's soulish living. Said another way, if our mind, will, and emotions are not in union with the heart of God, we are walking by our soul. Okay, and here, here's what's important. We are, were never meant to walk by our soul. We were meant to walk and have been equipped through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to walk by our spirit, man. We are spirit beings that are in union every second with the Holy Spirit. We do not perceive that. We do not hear that. We do not recognize that. We do not comprehend not only what's in us, but what's around us to the degree that we are walking by the soul. And the, the, the vast majority in the body of Christ has not been taught these principles that are in Scripture. None of this is new. Um, none of it is new. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Just the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled, they were choosing to live apart from the will mind, heart, intention of the Father, they chose to go by their own desire. One was through deception. The other was through just pride. Eve fell to deception. Adam fell to pride. Um, so it, there's really, really nothing more important than understanding it because in this hour, well, we'll get into that, but in this hour, that's what's being unleashed in this generation um, that, that is is Watchman Nee has a fantastic book, and again, I'm not. I'm, I'm. If I let the cat out of the bag, I'm sorry. If you don't agree with Watchman Nee, you don't like him. Just that's okay. Um, you know, the body is not going to agree on everything. But but what I found with everything, you listen to everybody, myself included. You know, out in Oklahoma, when I was in Oklahoma, they had an expression. You, you know, you act like a cow. And what does that mean? Well, you you eat the hay, you eat the straw, and you spit out the sticks. Right, and Watchman Nee has a book called The Latent Power of the Soul. It's a thin book. You could probably get it for two bucks because it is one of the most hidden treasures of this generation um, that is not read by many people. And he discusses the power of what, what gets unleashed, the counterfeit, the problems in the body of Christ, the, the problems with uh, attempting to move by the Holy Spirit. And although he doesn't address it 
there's not too many people that will address the root of it um, the way that the Lord has, has led me to get into the word. It always comes back to understanding your identity in Christ to our belief system, everything. And by us walking by uh, our own soul is to say that we're in charge. Um, here is what, steer this back on course, here is what our redemptive walk is meant to look like. Okay, we need a blueprint of truth. Then we can identify the false. Okay, we need a blueprint of truth before we can quickly understand what is not truth. Okay, here's what our walk is meant to look like. The Spirit of God communes, resides, boils. He turns with force, stirs like a river of life inside of us inside our spirit man. If you want to see what that looks like, go to the Old Testament and see what God was like in the midst of the Israelites because that was a type and shadow, the Holy of Holies, of what is now in us. We house the Holy of Holies in our spirit man. You want to see what, you know, if you feel dry, I would implore you, go back, read Exodus Read the, what happened to the Israelites. Read about the tent of meeting place with Moses. That power is in us. We are the fulfillment of the shadows, the foreshadowing, the prophetic um, old covenant. The old covenant was a prophecy. It was prophetic uh, illustrations of the fulfillment of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is the restoration back to the Father. Everything is moving into light of eternity. The Bible is progressive revelation. It's always moving toward eternity. And so we have to understand the Old Testament. We don't go back to the Old Testament to put us under old law and rules. They are meant to guide us to communion and intimacy. And that starts with understanding that the the, the, the Lord coming down upon the earth, when the spirit of the living God came down upon the earth and stayed in the shrouded, guarded temple, that is now in us. You just, we could, I could repeat that for, for hours. That, that, just meditate on that. Spirit of God communes inside of our spirit, man. That's where we are born again. That's where we have been reconciled to the Father. The, the words, his ways are above our words does not need to be. There will be now that doesn't mean we're omniscient. Um, that doesn't mean we know everything because we're not God. But we have the Holy Spirit in us communing with our, with our spirit man, spirit to spirit all the time. We have access to the throne room of God. We have access to his thoughts and his ways. That's why the writer of Hebrews quoted that. But we have the mind of Christ. Okay. So from our spirit man that's receiving constant information, constant interaction, constant union with the Holy Spirit, it's our spirit man that perceives the realm of the spirit. And our spirit man then communicates to our renewed mind the thoughts, will, and intentions of the Father. Then our renewed minds, meaning the mind of Christ, moves in obedience to what is communicated to it. And then lastly, our bodies carry out the orders of what we received. So we have the Holy Spirit communing to our spirit. 
that revelation gets imparted to our soul. Our soul then dictates how the body will live and move and have its being. That's how our walk, our communion with the Lord is meant to be. We are spirit beings. We are not soul beings. We're spirit beings. Our God is our Lord. He's our master. He's our friend. Above all, he is our Lord. Our spirit man is a son. Our soul is our servant. We are spirit beings. We are sons of God. Our soul is our servant. And our body is our slave. So that's a, that's a biblical order of how we are meant to, to move in the kingdom, how we're meant to interact, the transformation that has taken place because of the accomplished righteousness given to us and the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside of us. When our mind, will, and emotions, right, that's our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions are flowing from the mind of Christ, the truth of God's word and his nature, the fresh revelation, the fresh manna, the holy of holies interaction that's taking place inside our inner man, our inner being, our true self, that interaction is able to freely flow to the mind of Christ. It's able to freely flow um, to our soul when our mind, will, and our emotions are in agreement with the word of then our submitted mind, the mind of Christ, walks in submission to our spirit man. Right? So our soul walks in submission to us. So this is what it means to walk in the realm of the spirit experientially. Okay? Positionally, we're in the spirit. But how we experience the reality of that is, is the way I just described to be soul-ruled, to live by our soul is to say, I will not be governed by my spirit man, which is who we are. I will not be submitted in a union to the Holy Spirit, and instead I'm going to live by my own mind, my will, and emotions. It is it that we decide, that I decide my own will and thoughts are in charge. This is to be ruled by the soul. Being in heart, being, having one heart and mind and will with the Lord doesn't make us robots. It means that we feel as he feels. We see things from his perspective, which is always truth, which is always wisdom, which is always insight. And we flow in holiness. Holiness and sanctification are two related words. They mean to be like God in nature. So when we say that, that you know, we're, we're, sanctification is the process, is the verb of Holiness, which is a noun, okay, being holy is a noun. Sanctification in the Greek, these are Greek words now, is the process of moving toward becoming holy. Or sanctification is the process of being in nature like God, okay? So in any area where we don't want to submit to this, we're being ruled by our soul, in order to understand a little bit more what living by that carnal-minded man means, that, that soul, we actually must turn to the Greek word that used to refer to 
the words that are translated in English, the flesh or carnal. Okay, because a lot of times when we, we, have, we have been mistaught and tradition and legalism, and because we haven't really been taught what it is to be the righteousness of Christ, we have perverted and inverted what it means to be flesh-ruled, what it means to be carnal-minded. Um, so we're going we're gonna to blast that through tonight and give some much greater insight that's going to, that's gonna, I think, be a blessing to all of us in understanding that. There's three basic words used to translate, translate this uh, Greek word. The Greek word sarks, okay, S-A-R-K-S is how it's transliterated, by definition means flesh, body, human nature, materialness, or kindred, meaning being of, of relation. That's the word sark. So it means the, the, the flesh, the body, or our nature, okay, our human nature. The Greek word sarks is often translated in English to be either flesh, worldly, or carnal. The English definition of carnal is that which relates to the physical, okay? It's not the body. That's a very limited scope. The physical is talking about the physical realm. When the, when the Greek word sarks is used and it's talking about the body, it can be talking about our human body or it can be talking about the physical realm. Remember, we are spirit beings. We are to relate to everything from the position of God's mind from eternity and we live and move and have our being the word says in Christ in eternity Christ is eternal we're spirit beings the Holy Spirit is inside of us the kingdom is inside of us his nature is inside of us it is from that realm the spirit realm from eternity in which we look down upon the earth and conduct ourselves as spirit beings as citizens of heaven as seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ, moving about this realm as his ambassadors in union with him. That's relationship. It's simple stuff. And what I mean by that is, here's what I mean by that. Somebody let me take a look. Wait, say that again. I've got to rewind that. How could David be saying that simple stuff? What I mean is when we get this, when we sit on it, we meditate on the word, when we look at things from that perspective, from the word of God, from his truth about who we are, everything becomes simple. Every doctrine, every theological discussion, every unknown factor, everything we go through, every relationship, every dream, vision, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, piece of scripture that jumps out of us, everything will begin to make sense because we're viewing it from the heart and mind of God. To the degree that we are moving by the Greek word sarks, carnal, flesh, or worldly, we are moving by the physical realm. So um, the, we've been taught, the church has been taught erroneously that flesh um, is just talking about the physical body. We need to see the bigger scope that carnal refers not only to the physical body, but anything and all things that are not of the kingdom. Here's an example, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not, or, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have relations with men. First Corinthians 6.9, church tradition has used this verse to cite examples of living life in the flesh or being carnal or flesh-ruled. Okay? And so what we've done is we've focused what? On our physical body. Well, let me make sure that I don't violate um, uh, Scripture by what I do with my physical body. Now, it's true. We're not supposed to conduct ourselves certain ways with our bodies. Our bodies are temple, and our temple is meant to also reflect the nature of God. So it's not just about our heart. It also, our body has to do with it because if, we, if we're defiling our body, we're also violating the nature of God, and it limits our communion. It's just not he's worthy of everything anyway, so we should be doing it just because he's worthy. But it's not about law or legalism. And we've honed in on certain sections that just deal with the actual physical temple. God is interested in our soul. He's interested in our thinking and reasoning. Let's look at it a little more closely. Let's go to Galatians 5.17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. This scripture, Galatians 5.17, has often been used for 1 Corinthians 6.9. Okay, you often cite this together. Let's really look at this closely. For the desires of the flesh, the Greek word flesh, sarks, okay? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you, will not, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before, do not do such these things. Okay. It's the same Greek word, sarks, meaning anything that has to do with the body or the physical realm. What I'd like us to notice here in Galatians 5.17, there are exactly twice as many examples that deal not with the physical body, but that deal with the mind, will, and emotions. Of the 15 examples that Paul cited here, 10 of them have to do with how we think. They're rooted in our soul. Half of them have to do with the actual temple. But we don't talk about that. We just want to focus on how we conduct ourselves because that allows us self-righteousness. That allows us to walk in the spirit of Pharisee. We look like a good Christian. We look holy. Because holiness has been taught by the church and the world that's lost has been instructed falsely by the church. This is what holiness looks like, guys. It's not about the inner man of the heart. It's not about your communion. It's about what you do and don't do. Where Jesus says, you Pharisees are whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, right? You do everything right on the outside. You don't violate any of these errors on the outside. But what about your soul? What about the anger? The Pharisees killed Jesus out of hatred, out of anger, out of dissensions, out of division, envy, jealousy, strife idolatry, they kill Jesus out of all of the parts that Paul mentions in Galatians 5.17. 
Because what the Lord is interested in is our soul, having our soul be transformed into the truth that our mind, our will, and our emotions are in union with the mind of Christ, drawing upon the Spirit of God. That's the mind of Christ. Drawing upon what's inside of us. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of the born-again believer. That's where the mind of Christ resides. We have the power of the communion of the Holy Spirit to draw upon his mind, his will, his intentions. If we do that, the natural byproduct will be that our physical temple will fall into alignment. doesn't mean it won't be a challenge at times. And, and that does not mean you ignore the things of the flesh because, again, they can take us down a track. You, you reap what you sow. You know, Galatians 6, 8, we can, you know, uh, reap things in our body. We're going to sow things in our body. We reap things in our body. We can sow, uh, you know, some pretty nasty stuff in relationships. But it's the soul that needs to be addressed. So coming back around, it's dealing with anything that is not of the kingdom of God is of the flesh. And the flesh talks about the mind, the will, the emotions, and the body. It's the physical realm. Okay? Brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 3.1, I would not address you as the people who live by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. You are worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Guess what the Greek word is for worldly that's translated here in English. It's the same Greek word, sarx, which means fleshly, carnal, or earthly. Paul's not talking about, he, many Bibles translate it, are you not still living in the flesh? He's not talking about the actions of the temple, of the physical, what we're doing. He's talking about the flesh, meaning this realm, not the kingdom realm, not the realm of God's mind. Okay, so that's, I'm just driving that home there. Uh, last example I'm going to give, John 8:15. You judge by sarks, Jesus said. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. You judge by sarks, Greek word, flesh, carnal, earthly. I pass judgment on no one. That's often that Greek word is translated worldly, fleshly. Um, New International Version says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Okay, so, again, Sarks has anything to do with the physical realm, and predominantly it's talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. So the bullseye of our focus here is not the actions of the body, but the thinking of our minds. It's really to address the condition of the soul. How we think and feel and what we believe will determine whether we are living in the flesh, whether we are soul-ruled, whether we are carnal-minded, these are all synonyms, uh, whether we are worldly, whether we are fleshly, carnal, I'm just going to keep repeating them, or whether we're moving by the mind of Christ. So already we should starting to be seeing how this is going to affect our ability to commune with the Lord, how this hinders intimacy. Because it is our soul, our mind, our will, Right? Another word for the will, our intention, our mind, our intention, and our emotions will ultimately dictate the actions of our physical body. Our soul 
will dictate the actions of our body. See, before the fall, and in the and and forget the fall. Let's look at Jesus. Perfect picture of the perfect union that he had with the Father. That's type and picture of what we have access to, what we're called to be. Jesus moved by the Holy Spirit, speaking to his spirit man. His spirit man communicated the intention, the heart, the mind, the will, the thoughts of the Father to his mind, to his renewed soul, to his soul that was submitted to his spirit man. And then he walked, he talked, he interacted, he prayed, he was quiet, he slept according to kingdom order. That's what the scriptures mean. It says whether we... Uh, we, we, in him, we live and move and have our being. It's not about what we do. It's, the, it's our mindset. It's about proper spiritual alignment. Okay. In whatever area we are soul ruled, we are not in submission and in union to the life, power, and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are soul-ruled, we are quenching the life of God from flowing through us. Okay. I want to go on to, to part two, subduing the soul. How, do, how What does this look like? Okay. We're already kind of already fleshed out. Now many of you are starting to see already, okay, I think I get this. This is going back to applying the mind of Christ. Yeah. Every topic we talk about comes back to the mind of Christ. Every single topic in the Word of God Every single subject in our walk with God always comes back to our belief system. Everything. Where Satan challenged Jesus, when he tried to tempt Jesus, was the belief system. Adam and Eve were tempted in the belief system. It says that during the thousand-year reign, when Satan will be locked up so he cannot deceive people, it says at the end of that is a revelation, he will be released for a time and will immediately go out and deceive people. From Genesis to Revelation, what Satan does is deceives people. He doesn't deceive our flesh. He deceives our mind. When we're choosing to walk in agreement with God's word, we cannot be deceived. We can make mistakes. That's not the same as being deceived. And the Bible talks about a willful deception. And that goes back to the soul, wanting to do things our way. So, so that's really important. Um, I won't rabbit trail any more than that. Part two, subduing the soul. What does that look like? Number one is rejecting the fallen belief system, the belief system of this world, telling the dead soul, that dead carnal-minded man, to shut up and putting on, drawing to, applying the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is the renewed soul. Again, the soul is the mind, will, and emotions that are flowing from the Holy Spirit within. When we talk about the mind of Christ, we possess the mind of Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to submit to the Holy Spirit within us and allow his word, his written word, and then through intimacy and through communion, we can more and more purely hear the spoken word. We can more and more purely see the kingdom. Every, every, um, oh my goodness. I mean, I've met so many people in my walk that are legitimately called to, um, 
you know, so many different functions in the body of Christ. And when you look at this person um, or you hear them speak or you hear them write or you hear things that they convey a relation, something they, they spoke or had a walk with the Lord about or talked to them about, to the degree that we don't understand who we are as his redeemed, perfectly loved, complete, holy, and acceptable beloved, is the degree that we are attempting to get the revelation from our spirit man, right? the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit man. We are getting that revelation, and now we are trying to receive that information through a mind that's contending with the Word of God. See, when we're, when we're younger in the Lord and through this process, we're growing, and it's a ton of fun. I spent many years really learning to have fun with all this. The problem is that in this day and age, there are people that, that know better. There are many um, people that are appointed or are walking in a degree of eldership that have become very dangerous. And the reason why they're dangerous is because when, when, when church government, I don't mean man-made government, I mean the spiritual government, the spiritual areas of service that the body of Christ is all meant to mature into, we're all in a process. And those that have gone on deep with the Lord that are meant to serve and raise up the generation to, to, according to Ephesians 5 and 6, to grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ, we're all meant to become elders. And then we raise those people that come into the body. The Great Commission always brings in believers, and we should always be rising up uh, in, in our identity in Christ so that we can go lower to, to serve the body of Christ from underneath. And in areas where we don't submit, our soul to the mind of God in areas we don't submit when the Lord begins telling us something, we say, no, 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 I, I, nah, here's how we're going to do it, Lord. We're going to do it this way. We're going to, I'll mostly obey. Uh, read the life of King David. Uh, read the life of King Saul and look at the comparison between the two. Saul had an incredible um, consecrated life to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. He refused to submit his mind to the will of God. David made plenty of mistakes, but David's heart, right? We talk about his heart, right? It's the intention, the will, the emotions. That's another word for soul. Was submitted to the Father. Is submitted to the will what the Lord wanted. Even though he struggled, his heart, his soul was bent on, on following his spirit man. It's not about right or wrong, guys. It's not about perfection. It's not about how well we hear his voice. It's not about where we are on this, in this journey, which is meant to be fun. Even in the midst of persecution, we're meant to have joy. It's not about how mature we are. It's about where is our soul? Where's our intention? Are we bent to the will of the Father? I mean, nature calls for it. Look at, I mean, sunflowers. You ever look at a perfect picture of how we're meant to turn to light. Everything in creation bends to light except man's heart, right? Man is just so stubbornly set on a compromise, on doing things my way, of building a kingdom. The Tower of Babel wasn't about how high they built. The Tower of Babel was about the heart of man. That's why God in his mercy said, look, They'll destroy themselves if they're left to their own accord. 
There's nothing they will not be able to do. In one accord, they will completely reject me on the face of the earth. It was the mercy of God that led to the different languages. Guys, everything goes back to how we, how we see our Father. Okay. So, so doing this all, uh, we have to reject the fallen belief system of this world. We would draw to the mind of Christ. We, we must know what the Word of God says and choose to, in context, agree with His Word. And, and the biggest in context, so many people say, well, David, where do I start? We start what the cross gave us. The cross gave us salvation because we're made righteous. The, the body of Christ has flipped it and removed one part of that equation. We say, well, we've been given salvation, but well, I'm just a sinner, I'm unholy. You cannot enter into the presence of God with rags. Salvation is to be restored, to be able to stand before the presence of an all-consuming fire and not be consumed. The only way that was able to happen is our sins had to be removed. They had to be atoned for so that when we stand before him, he sees the robes of the blood of Jesus. So if we got that, if we understood that, we'd recognize we salvation is the result of the imputed righteousness that Jesus accomplished through the cross. You can't have one without the other. We're fully pleasing. We are deeply loved. We're complete in the accomplished work on the cross, not on what we do. If we would get that, the scriptures would just, we would see them instead of the carnal-minded man filtering, and we would see them through the mind of eternity. We would see them from the throne room of God. That's intimacy. The doorway to intimacy is subduing the soul, walking by the mind of Christ, submitted to the Spirit of God in us. That includes any lie, addressing any lie that says our self-worth is conditional. What does conditional mean? That our actions or the opinions of others determine our self-worth. That's a lie. And guys, we can't compromise that. We cannot allow one aspect of that lie to be anywhere in our being. You have to reject it completely, totally, without compromise. There are many people out there in this hour that are speaking some true insight words of things yet to come, but they're compromised. And in any area, we do not walk knowing we are complete in Christ, that our self-worth has nothing to do with anything, but that Jesus clothed us in his blood, in his holiness, in his robes. In any area we, we contend with that is pride. That's why the words in this hour are causing so much confusion. It's not that there's all these false brothers and sisters and wolves and sheep's clothing. There's some of them. There's some of them. They're, they're you know, they're kind of, they're not too hard to spot. The real confusion that comes in the body of Christ is because God is trying to get his word out. In every generation, he has a purpose for that generation. 
The generation of this hour for this country is repentance, is to turn from the world and return back to our first love. That is the message of this hour. And there are those that are trying to get that forth and that want to share that. It's compromised if, if we don't know our walk, who we are. So the lie number one that our, is our worth is conditional. That's a lie. It's forever settled. It's complete. We're the righteousness of Christ. Um, the second lie is that God can love us more or will love us less under certain conditions. That's a lie. God can't love us anymore. We're fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing. We're fully loved. We're, there's no to his love. And there's nothing we can do to have him love us less. Actions, doing something that's displeasing to him is not the same as him loving us any less. The reason why that's foreign to so many of us is because we had such terrible role modeling. Because our parents or parental figures didn't know any better. Because their parental figures didn't know any better. And the church certainly hasn't been teaching this. I'm not blaming fingers at any one person. I, I, I am calling a spade a spade. If the body of Christ understood what salvation meant, we'd be walking in kingdom power and authority, peace. This nation would look very different. And that's okay. There's no condemnation. It's recognizing where we have turned from the heart of the Father, where we have turned from the mind of Christ. Why did the body of Christ stop listening to the prophetic voices in the body? Why did the body of Christ begin to exalt certain titles and functions? Why did the body of Christ begin exalting positions? Why did the body of Christ begin shunning those that have a challenging word of correction? Why did we do these things? Why did we begin to talk about excessiveness and self-centeredness and doing things for, the, for God because God wants you to be happy? Guys, hear what I'm saying. He is a, he, he, we do not comprehend his love. His love is so far beyond our comprehension. He loves us fully, but he does not lavish upon us so that we can live a life based upon our own desires and walk self-centered. Jesus did not walk self-centered. He walked father-centered and everything was given to him. It's proper alignment. Body of Christ, there's a window of time for this nation to return to the heart of the father. That means, that means turning. The word repentance is not a swear word. It's one of the most beautiful words in our language. It's to turn to the throne room. It's to turn to the cross. It's to look into the eyes of our Redeemer. I could wonder, you know, if we took a poll in these stadiums that fill so many people praying for revival that won't talk about repentance, then you never wonder what the eyes of Jesus look like. Then you never wonder what hell looks like. Okay, so subduing the soul means to reject the lies of this world. The predominantly meaning that our worth is the, the is con 
conditional, can go up or down. It's based upon what other people think of us. It's based upon our actions. It's based upon our gifts. It's based upon anything of this realm or anything that God gives us. Nothing can add to our worth. God cannot love us more. He loves us fully. He will never love us less. If we are ever fearing rejection, we need to check our belief system. If we're ever fearing failure, we need to check our belief system. If we've ever been embarrassed, we need to check our belief system. And the time has come where we can't, we can't just sweep them under the rug, right? We, 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 we can't compromise that. Take every thought captive. It's, guys, it gets easy. It gets real easy. It doesn't come on. In the beginning, it's work. It doesn't stay hard. It gets easier and easier. You know, you, every interaction is that. You know, you, you start off saying, uh, uh, you, you share something or say something on the social media or, 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 or in fellowship and someone takes you the wrong way and you want to say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Not because you're, you're fearing rejection, not because you're being misunderstood, but because out of love, you want to share the truth. But then all of a sudden, when you explain it, you don't explain it right. And now you're convinced they're thinking something of you. And now all of a sudden, you do care what someone thinks. You do feel embarrassed. You do feel that your self-worth is being threatened. No, 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 I don't want them to think that about me. It's so insidious. But as we learn to practice looking at our mind and subduing the, it to the mind of Christ, drawing to God's word about us, it becomes easy and we learn to just flow in it. And then when things bounce against that, it's, it becomes so obvious. Guys, it's just a discipline that gets easier and easier. Here's the crux of it all, guys. The word says we are not in the realm of the flesh, but that we are already in the spirit. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. All born-again believers have been transformed into sons of God with a nature that is filled with the presence of God inside of us. The nature of God is inside your spirit, man. Romans 6.2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul is asking, guys, we died to this. We were, we were breathed the life of God. The God, the spirit that parted the seas, shook the foundations, created and withheld. Read the story when, when God came down and, and set Job straight. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's God taking Job's carnal-mindedness and putting him into reality with the mind of God. It wasn't wrath. My goodness, how we've misquoted Job. God was saying, Job, let me set you free from your delusions. Let me break through that carnal-minded man. Answer me these questions. Come stand before the God of eternity. Come see things. Come up here. Come. I, let me give you a, a, the smallest taste of seeing things from perspective of eternity, and it transformed Job forever. And that's what we need to do. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Guys, these verses are past tense. This is what we need to get. 
the entire nature of the fallen man. It's been crucified. It's been put to death. What is now inside of us is the life and nature of God himself. We didn't earn it. It was a gift. It's, it's ours. If we put all these scriptures together, we died to the thinking and reasoning and the beliefs of Satan. We died to that nature. We died to the lies that begun in the Garden of Eden. Just as the first Adam died, so the second Adam, the scripture said, Jesus Christ had made us alive. Jesus was the first of the new creation. Okay, anyway. As we practice conforming our thoughts to the mind of Christ, we practice living by the Spirit of God and not by the soulless desires of the carnal minded man. This is the flesh. Remember, guys, the flesh is used to describe our living, our moving, our thinking, and our relating. Anything about our being that does not reflect God, that does not relate to God, does not relate to ourselves or others from the mind of Christ, is the flesh. And the flesh means to be soul-ruled, fallen-mindedness. Here's some examples in the scriptures of how we submit the soul, okay? How, what does this look like? Um, 1 Timothy 4, 3, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. 1 Timothy 4.3. Guys, if we read this in context, if you go read, uh, read Timothy, um, read chapter 4, Paul is addressing what will take place. Paul is speaking prophetically. He has stepped into the prophetic mantle. He has stepped into the function, the service of a prophet. He is addressing Timothy prophetically and addressing what will take place in the body of Christ. This is not talking about the lost. The lost are already lost. You can't get more lost. You read the context of Timothy chapter 4, he's talking about the church and what will take place. We are living in that hour. The way we submit our soul is to look at what things tickle our ears, what things will cause us to want to turn away. It says teaching, it will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. That means to turn from God's truth and to seek something apart from God. That's the first recognition that we're starting to get off. Something exciting. I, I've, some people I've counseled for years, some of them decades. They're always looking for something new and exciting. Right, the charismatic movement, I mean, I, I know, uh, I believe in all of the gifts and operations. I believe in all aspects of the Holy Spirit flowing through the body of Christ, all biblical aspects of the Holy Spirit moving through the body of Christ. But when you have um, charismatics, as we like to call ourselves, going from one experience to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, it's because we don't know what's inside of us. What we need to do is not find out who's speaking next week to get an impartation of something, but we need to learn how to develop our prayer time. 
because all the access to the throne room is, is inside of our communion. That's why we're talking about this doorways to intimacy. Psalm 43.5, David speaking, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Here's an example of how we submit the soul, guys. David is directly addressing the mind and the emotional aspect of his soul. The Hebrew words here are to despair and to roar. When, these, when, when David is saying, why are you downcast? He's saying, why are you in despair and why are you disquieted within me? The Hebrew word, sorry, I think I'm going to say Greek. The Hebrew word means to roar or to rage. His soul was raging against the kingdom of God. His soul was raging against what was going on in his life. And his answer is speaking to his soul because David recognized he was a spirit being. Speaking to his soul, he says, I will hope. You put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. In other words, when David says, I will praise him, yet he says, why my soul? He's addressing his soul, and he's saying, yet I will praise him. See the distinction? David's saying, from his spirit, man, I'm going to praise him, so soul, you will submit. Why are you downcast? I will praise the Lord. It wasn't schizophrenic. He understood kingdom order. He understood he was a spirit being. First uh, Samuel 36. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Let's stop and look at that. How did he find strength? He took his mind, will, and emotions and submitted them to the Lord. He took everything his senses were taking in that was making him become greatly distressed. Hebrew words for greatly distressed are words that deal with the soul, emotions, and thinking. He took the things that made him distressed, his soul, and he submitted them to the Lord. That's how we find our strength in the Lord. That's why the scriptures say he will keep in perfect peace he whose soul stayed on Christ. Some, some Greek uh, translations translate that, that Greek word mind. Mind is there, right? It's a soul. We're kept in peace when our soul is submitted to Christ. The spirit of Jesus Christ lives inside our spirit, man. That's what we submit to. Here's one more on this last point, and we're going to be closing out. Even the mind of Christ must submit to our spirit man. The dangers a lot of the elders, a lot of my fallen brothers and sisters that really had uh, such wonderful callings to serve the body. I've met many people on my journey um, that were called to serve the body alongside of me. Uh, give me a little piece. I won't get into too much of my background because, you know, the Lord told me you preach the word, David. Preach the word. Um, but sometimes, you know, the, the body is designed for, the body of Christ is designed for uni- unity and, and fellowship and intimacy. Um, that's, the, that's the heart problem of, of church life. From that place, we see Christ together. 
so I'll share a little bit. I was never meant to speak and to share and to serve and minister to the body alone. I was one of three. And, um, you know, if we don't submit our souls, if we do not yield daily to the mind of Christ and be willing to look at the things that, that are lies and be, be brave enough to draw upon God's word, even when we don't feel it in the darkest of nights, um, it will compromise our walk. There's a lot of people that are going to be coming forth in this generation to serve the body from the areas that God has, has, has walked with them. And they'll come out for the most part alone. They were not meant to come out alone. The body of Christ is meant to move together. But um, the Lord will work through the body. He is faithful and the body will be blessed. And he who has ears will hear. I am confident. Done. Okay, the mind of Christ must be submitted to the Spirit of God. When we have the mind of Christ, at any point, we can begin to take over. I can rest, and this has happened to me. I've been moving in the mind of Christ, and in a split second, all of a sudden, my own desires, my own will take over, and before I know it, I'm moving in pride. I'm moving, pride, remember, is self. It's seeking worth, identity, anything. It's looking to take, to get anything. Because we've already been given everything in Christ. The second that happens, I start moving out of the carnal-minded man. The mind of Christ must submit to the Holy Spirit, must submit to our spirit man in all things, or you will get off into error. Okay, uh, Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, this is Jesus speaking in the garden the night before he's about to fulfill The gift of the promise. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, here's a question. Was Jesus moving at any point, a carnal-minded man? Was he moving at any point outside of the realm of eternity? Was he at any point moving by a fallen belief system? Was he at any point moving in sin, moving in rebellion, moving from, from lies, the answer to that, of course, is no. He was moving with the mind of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the forerunner. Why we say the mind of Christ, because we have the Spirit of Christ inside of us. Jesus was in perfect will and union with the Father. He was moving by the kingdom of heaven. He was moving by the Holy Spirit. He still had to submit his mind, will, and emotions to the will of the Father. He submitted his soul to the Holy Spirit. If Jesus had to do it, we had to do it. The moment we begin to think, if there are any of you by some miracle, any of you elders in the body of Christ that, that are entreatable, that are moving and teaching and have place of influence in people's lives, I, I implore you, recognize the dangers of thinking that you have everything put together because you will fall. It's just a matter of time. And that fall will not be evidence to those around you. So it's not the exposure that causes the fall or that is someone to say you've fallen 
from your call, your place in the body of Christ, your area of service. It's between you and the Father. That grieves his heart, and the body of Christ suffers. So anyway, Luke twenty-two forty-two, a wonderful example of submitting the mind of Christ, submitting our soul, our renewed, regenerated soul to our spirit, to the Holy Spirit within us. It's not arguing with God. I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit here, guys, and be a little transparent, right? As if I'm not transparent. Uh, it's, it's not a sin to argue or contend with God. It's when we decide after we've had a discussion with him, we come away from the table saying, I'm doing it my way. That's sin. Arguing isn't sin. It's intention that's sin. The Lord says, come plead your case with me. The Lord welcomes it. Uh, you know, I don't say it. Some people, right, we love to say, oh, you know, describe this argument with God. I'm not saying it from that way, but I've had many, many, many times I've gone to the Lord upset and I've, I've had some intense uh, uh, venting sessions with him and, and argued with him. And uh, it's not what we do when we dialogue. It's have we submitted ourselves to him when we're done. That's the heart and the beauty of Psalms. The Psalms of David is every how we submit the soul. We come to the table. We vent our soul. We vent the fears, vent the frustrations. Then we acknowledge what is not of the kingdom and we submit them to the Holy Spirit, to the mind of Christ, to the written word, to the spoken word. That's how we subdue the soul. That's how, that's how every one of David's psalms, David bends his will to the, to the Holy Spirit. We must bow our soul to our spirit man and our spirit man bows to the will of the Holy Spirit in us. The kingdom is within us. When we say me or you, I, I, I encourage you, I challenge you. Uh, oh gosh, I hate saying the word. <laughs> okay, I'll use the word challenge because I can't think of anything else, but, but I don't mean in that cliche type, but I really do genuinely I challenge you, implore you, beg you, when you begin saying me or myself or I, Stop and meditate. I am a spirit being. Myself is a spirit being. Me is a spirit being. Go through. Make, begin making a distinction. When Paul talks about himself, he is aligning himself with his new man. And when he's contending with something that's foreign, he's calling it the soul or flesh or sin. You're not saying he is that. We are spirit beings. The more that we begin to meditate on that, it also strengthens us to realize we're not living out of the soul. We're not going to live a life submitted to our own desires, but we live by our spirit, man, submitted to the Holy Spirit. So in summary, the two areas we subdue our soul is we recognize we're living by the soul. Living by the soul means to not be submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit, it is to be ruled by my mind, will, and our emotions, and to say, I will not be governed by my spirit man, which is who we are. I will not submit to my spirit man that's in union to the Holy Spirit. I will instead live by my own mind, and our will, and our emotions. That's recognizing if we're living by the soul. And we could be doing it in one area and not doing it in other areas. We have to need to recognize that in all areas. The Holy Spirit will be faithful to that. 
Second is subduing the soul. We have to recognize that we're living by the soul of what areas, and then we subdue the soul. What does this look like? It means rejecting the fallen belief system, means submitting to God's belief system, and then only then, part B, is we submit our renewed soul, the mind of Christ, our mind, will, and emotions that are in union to God, we submit that to our spirit man. Um, and I've given, I, I've had related teachings, uh, you know, broadcasts, I've talked about this some more uh, in in prayer, learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, learning how to, how to hear the voice of God. I talk more about that on there. Um, remember, our, our God is our Lord, our creator is our Lord, our master, and our friend. Above all things, he's our Lord. Our spirit man is who we are. We are sons of God, or sons and daughters of God, right? Our soul is our servant. Our temple, the body, is a slave. Slave has no rights. The soul is a servant. The soul submits. Subduing the soul, guys, aligns ourselves to operate in proper kingdom alignment. It is a major, major component, major key to passing through the doorway into intimacy. It is the number one, in my opinion, in what I see in the Word of God, the number one most important thing. It affects everything, our thinking, and submitting that to our spirit, man. Um, Okay, so there's some of you that are thinking, um, well, I hear the voice of God. When I pray, I can get into my, my prayer closet, my, I get into my prayer time, and I can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I can hear his voice, and I can hear him speaking to me. Um, let me address that. That's a very dangerous place to be if we think that's what safeguards us from walking by our soul. If you study to flow in the Holy Spirit, which meant they had to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, which meant they had to be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? They were aware of the spirit realm and were engaging the realm of the spirit. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, that we must yield to that they were the most mind-tested in the most carnal-minded church addressed at the time of the epistles. So you being able to hear the voice of God, me being able to feel, discern the presence of the Holy Spirit in me or resting around me or upon me, engaging as we, as we feel the presence of the Lord in us and we turn to the kingdom within us, we will begin to feel the, the reality of the kingdom all around us. That is not a safeguard. The safeguard is our mind. Where is our thinking? And I, I have met many Christians, many, many Christians that know how to get in their prayer closet and hear God. They come out just as hard-hearted and rebellious and contentious as before they went in. Because the Lord will not and cannot discuss a subject that our carnal-minded soul will not yield to our spirit man to. If I'm, my soul says, I'm not going to listen to that. 
then we shut off the communion and communication that our spirit being is receiving from the Holy Spirit. That's why you can have people move in tremendous areas in one part, and yet their doctrine, their beliefs, their walk is so askew in another because they're not allowing God to speak to them in that area. So please do not think if you can, if you can discern the realm of the spirit, then you're, you're okay. No, that's a deception. We must take everything captive to, to, to Christ. And the more that we grow in that, the more dangerous we become if we do not submit. Because that means we move in a degree of intimacy, a degree of hearing his voice. We begin to have place an influence spiritually in the body of Christ. That's how it works. If people can discern the Holy Spirit moving through us and in us. And yet if we don't submit to the Lord in all areas, we begin to move in witchcraft. There's no other word for it. It's not, you know, it's not a scary word. You know, demons don't impress me. You know, I find them extremely boring. And the more that I mature in Christ, the more bored I get of them. But they're there. And sometimes I have to address them. And as the body of Christ, we do have to address them. The times are coming where we need to get some of these things head on as they get in our crosshairs. Without a doubt, it starts with us. It starts with the mind of Christ. We're very limited how effective we can be for the kingdom until we first address the kingdom within us. And that must be submitted in our thinking. So um, I wanted to share that. Hopefully that was a blessing to someone, a minister to someone, or or help someone out there. Um, so that's it for this evening. And uh, Dorothy, before we uh, before we say goodnight, are there any uh, any questions that have popped up? I don't see any questions in the chat room, and no one in the queue has raised their hand. So. Okie dokie. Well, if you guys do have questions that come up, uh, I know many of you will reach out to me uh, via email and Praise God, sometimes it takes me some time, but I am steadfastly set to reach as many in the body of Christ as I can. And um, so it may take time, but I, I will get back to you. Um, and, um, and and you can check out additional information on uh, on my blog. I still get asked about that question. So um, praise God, that, that means that there's, for some people, still uh, information that they haven't gleaned yet uh, the word of God, so so praise God for that. But but okay then, Dorothy, um, I'm going to say good night. And um, you know, before we do, I am going to uh, I'm just going to pray, Dorothy. If that's okay, you agree with me in prayer. Absolutely. Thanks. Lord Jesus, I just exalt you. Lord, I take this moment to exalt you in all my ways to say you alone are God. That you are above all things. I thank you for your love and your faithfulness. I thank you for ministering your love, your truth to the body of Christ in this hour. I thank you that all those that that are seeking your truth and bear witness that you are faithful and that you will be found by them. I speak peace over everyone's minds who are unsettled in this hour. You are the God of peace. I speak comfort and peace over the body of Christ that is being tortured throughout the world. 
that are faithfully sharing the love of God to souls that are twisted and filled with hate and that those people are coming to you and repenting and are being filled with your love. Lord, I pray for this nation. Lord, I know it is not too late. I pray that the body of Christ would arise, wake up, and take our place, put on the robes of righteousness that you have given us. And all fear, the fear of looking at turning, the fear of giving up the world and giving up sin, would fall away from our hearts and we would seek you for you are worthy, you are holy, you are just, you are God. Bless all the listeners, Father, you're listening live and bless all those that will tune in when they can hear it. I bless everyone in the name of Jesus Christ that your words would plant deep into the heart. Anything that I spoke that is not of you just falls to the ground. I bless you in this hour, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Dorothy, you have a wonderful night, a wonderful week. I'll be speaking with you soon. And um, we'll pick up uh, up the next one. We'll be talking about uh, doorways to intimacy. The third part we're going to be talking about is holiness and how holiness is another tremendous aspect of a doorway to intimacy. A lot of people are thinking, holiness, dun, dun, dun. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be so <laughs> a wonderful. Um, I'm excited. Boy, I'm really excited to bring that, that, that teaching forth. Holiness is such a wonderful thing that we're just going to tear down legalism and death and self-righteousness and all that stuff and talk about the pure heart of holiness and how wonderful it is and, and and the the access way that gives us to intimacy and free flowing communion in the Spirit of God through holiness. So um, that'll be next up on the ticket. So everyone, good night. Thank you for tuning in. I am honored. I am blessed to serve the body of Christ with every breath that I have. I am blessed. And Dorothy, thank you as always uh, for this forum and for your quiet work that you do for the kingdom. It is a blessing and and uh, I acknowledge that. I thank you. So God bless everyone. You have a a wonderful week. We'll see you back here soon. And Dorothy, God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. Everyone tuning in over the weekend, be safe, safe holiday in Jesus' name. Good night, Dorothy. You take care. Good night, David. Father bless everyone. Father bless. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.